Bloc Québécois can do whatever they can say whatever they want, they will never be in office. We are living in divided times. There is a lot of fear at this point of civilian unrest. Nearly 100 million people have already cast their ballots. Millions of ballots are still to be counted. But that didn't stop President Trump from falsely declaring victory. This is a fraud on the American public. This is an embarrassment to our country. As I voice this, there is no evidence of election fraud south of the border, and the U.S. Vice President Joe Biden is on track to become the next president of the United States. More than 72 million Americans voted for Biden, and another 69 million voted for Trump. It's almost right in half, as a matter of fact. The country is increasingly becoming polarized. The Democrats don't understand what the Republicans want, and the Republicans don't know what the Democrats want. And the United States is now two solitudes. That's a term Canadians know well, and one that was also on display this side of the border in recent weeks. Small potatoes, perhaps, compared to a U.S. election, but it's hard not to turn on a francophone TV or radio and hear heated discussions over the limits of freedom of expression. And pundits, and even the Quebec Premier, argue that federal politicians are offside with the province. First, it's unacceptable what happened because uh, in uh, places like universities, uh, you have to be able to have a debate about everything. It began with a controversy after a professor was disciplined for using the N-word in a University of Ottawa classroom. Then it was about Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's silence on the beheading of a teacher in France, Samuel Paty, after he showed his classrooms the controversial cartoons of the Prophet Mohammed, published by the magazine Charlie Hebdo. Mais la liberté d'expression n'est pas sans limite. Leading the charge to remind voters Ottawa doesn't speak for the province is none other than the Bloc Québécois. It's always the same thing. Because there's, there's one big issue on the table, we should avoid speaking of any other big issue, mostly if it makes the Prime Minister uncomfortable or if it does show how uh, not representative of Quebec he is. I'm Althea Raj, and this is Follow Up, a HuffPost Canada politics podcast. Today on the show, we take a look at how Quebec's Sovereigntist Party is making waves in Ottawa. After electoral repudiation in 2011 and 2015, the Bleu Québécois now has the second most seats in the province and a leader who chases headlines. So for all of you who've watched too much CNN and Fox News, a podcast about something else. Freedom of expression, separatist parties, and power struggles in Ottawa. Stick around. I was uh, in committee last, uh, well, this week with uh, Minister Blair appearing at uh, the Public Safety Committee. And I was listening to the questions of our conservative colleagues, uh, the NDP, the, uh, Elizabeth May was on the committee, and I couldn't help but think as we were watching also the elections unfold in the U.S., how 
civil the discourse was, how everyone agreed on certain, even though we disagreed, on, uh, for instance, on on guns with the conservatives, we don't have the, the, the same approach, but still uh, uh, MP Motz was uh, quoting Statistics Canada, uh, institutions we all you know, believe in and uh, accord credence to. So I, I was really pleased. So hi, my name is uh, Joel Lightbound. I'm the member of parliament for Louis Hébert, uh, and I'm speaking to you from uh, Quebec City. Joel Lightbound is a Liberal MP from 2015. He chairs the GRITS Quebec Caucus, and he represents a riding that went to the NDP in 2011, was represented by the Bloc in 2008, and by the Conservatives in 2006. I asked him what his takeaways were from watching the U.S. presidential election and any lessons learned for Canada. I think if there's one thing that uh, we ought to be mindful here in Canada is to remain very civil in our public discourse. We can disagree, but but we still speak to one another, even though we disagree on certain issues. And, and I, I don't see the same extent, the polarization to the same extent that we've been observing in the U.S., and uh, and to me that's something I I, I find com- comforting and but we need to preserve it and and cherish it. I think it's a it's a great thing about this country. One of the things I've noticed where we, we feel like we're having two different conversations in the last few weeks um, has been listening to my francophone colleagues ask questions in press conferences and my anglophone colleagues ask questions in press conferences and they're having two completely different <laughs> national conversations. Bonjour monsieur Blanchet, j'aimerais revenir sur euh, l'histoire de le, l'enseignante à l'université d'Ottawa. Moi le premier ministre selon vous doit se prononcer là-dessus. Est-ce que vous avez compris de sa réponse est-ce qu'il ne s'est pas rangé dans le camp de Yesterday or the day before I can't remember which you said that you no longer have confidence in the government. So does that mean that going forward when there are confidence votes you will vote to bring the government down? I wanted to just clarify something just that my colleague was asking about when it comes to confidence votes. And it's not about, you know, urban versus rural or rich versus poor, or educated versus not educated. It's been about freedom of expression, um, which doesn't seem to have galvanized English Canada to the same extent as uh, French Canada and specifically Quebec. Mm-hmm. Why do you think freedom of expression, not just um, the questions as related by my colleagues, but also the, the positions that we've seen um, MNAs in Quebec City take, the government in Quebec City take, why do you think freedom of expression without limits finds unanimity or almost unanimity in Quebec in a way that it does not in the rest of Canada? Um, well, I... I respectfully disagree with the Please premise. So. <laughs> uh, I don't think that there's a unanimity in Quebec about freedom of speech without limits, because there are limits to freedom of speech we all agree on, like hate speech, mm-hmm. defamation, uh, direct uh, threats or incitation to violence. I think those are limits that need to be imposed in a free and democratic society, and Quebecers agree on that. Okay, I take your point. Uh, Nobody is suggesting that um, hate speech should be a norm but mm-hmm. as expressed by the Bleu Québécois, as expressed by Premier Legault, as expressed by even members of the Provincial Liberal Party, whether we're talking about the N-word controversy on campus in Ottawa U, or we're talking about the drawings about, of the Prophet Muhammad in France, um, the issue seems to be portrayed very differently and understood very differently 
I'm not entirely sure how big the 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 gap is between uh, English Canada and 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 Quebec on on that issue. It's uh, sometimes it's just, and I've observed this for the last five years uh, in Ottawa that issues uh, of all sorts will garner the attention of Quebec because we have our own media, you know, uh, environment mm -hmm. uh, that will just either never uh, catch the attention of the, the English Canada and, and vice versa. On, on the substance of what you're saying, I think there is probably more agreement than we might think uh, between Quebec and the rest of Canada. We all agree that freedom of speech in a, in a free uh, and democratic society is is paramount, is is fundamental, and that um, and to me the way I see it as a as a Quebecer is if if we accept to live in a free uh, society, then it comes with the risk of being offended sometimes, and if you are offended, then you have to fight uh, with words and with ideas, never ever with violence, uh, and you can go to court if if the the speech that offends you you think goes too far um, and enters the hate speech, passes the hate speech line. And that's where the debate should happen. But um, and I think Canadians from coast to coast to coast agree on, on that. Do you think the prime minister misspoke on Friday when he addressed the controversy and did not speak as eloquently as you just did? Asked if he thought people should mock religion or show cartoons of Mohammed, Trudeau said, first, I think a society like ours must always look to be respectful and not to insult others with whom we share our society. That's a question of respect. When, when you look at the full transcript, look at what the prime minister said. That's essentially it. that's essentially it. Uh, freedom of speech is, is fundamental, it, and and I think what well what he, he said added, the clip that was circulating in Quebec media and how he started answering that question was freedom of speech is not without limits. I think that's what galvanized the premier of Quebec and the Quebecois and members of the National Assembly and the media in mm -hmm. Quebec. Yeah, but 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 he started saying very very clearly that nothing justifies what we've seen in France and uh, and, and and that you know freedom of speech is a sacrosanct value in our democracies and ought to be protected and defended. Quebec Premier François Legault was incensed by the Prime Minister's comments and forcefully denounced them. Non, je suis pas d'accord avec uh, Justin uh, Trudeau. I'm not in agreement with Justin Trudeau, he said. Je suis d'accord avec uh, Emmanuel Macron. Uh, on peut pas uh, uh, accuser uh, des personnes qui ont fait des caricatures de justifier de cette façon-là de la violence là. Je suis uh, vraiment uh, totalement en désaccord avec uh, monsieur Trudeau là. il faut protéger uh, la liberté d'expression. Legault's condemnation got him a phone call from French President Emmanuel Macron, who thanked the Quebec Premier on Twitter for his solidarity and for standing up firmly for liberty. It caused a diplomatic spat that continued until Trudeau called the president on Thursday, though the prime minister did not get a thankful tweet from the French president. On Parliament Hill, both the Bloc Québécois and the Tories hammered the prime minister. I'm ashamed that some French people could believe that what Mr. Trudeau has said, is what Quebecers think. The Bloc Québécois uh, has used this issue. It used the controversy over the N-word uh, 
two, three weeks ago to suggest that the prime minister is offside again with the will of Quebecers. What do you make of the bloc's stance on these issues in the last month? I, I think the bloc is having a hard time figuring its place in the context where we're in a global pandemic. And the people I talk to in my writing, they're very much interested in having our governments work together so that we can go through this crisis, emerge from this crisis, standing up. And I think the bloc finds it hard to get the kind of issues that uh, that are are good for them, the kind of politics that they enjoy, which is fighting with Ottawa on this and that and this and that. But but there is no appetite for it in the population. I, I don't feel it. I don't sense it. And I think that the bloc is struggling to um, to find its its place in this context where there's really, and I see it at, in my constituency office, uh, there are some controversies after certain years of doing this, you, you know what's going to get you a lot of calls and emails at the office and what's not, then it just doesn't pick up. My my, my, my head as well is not on, on the kind of politics that the bloc is playing. We're focused on how are we going to help the hotels in, in Quebec City survive and uh, and emerge from this, this crisis, how we're going to help entrepreneurs and families go through it as the pandemic continues to uh, to unfold and we're in the midst of a second wave. The, the, of course, it's not good. It doesn't help the bloc uh, when they see the federal government working with the provincial government and being so present in people's lives uh, as we should through these uh, these tough times. So, so I, I I see it as a, a bloc struggle, and uh, they'll find some. They'll try to orchestrate some uh, division, but uh, I don't I don't think it's got a lot of traction in the population. What do you think? the block offers that the liberals don't mm. eternal opposition that's i mean what the block offers that it's the, the the block doesn't have the reality of the whole country the international like it's sometimes the block can take positions that are very tailored um to certain segments uh, of the electorate or, or but of course when you're a national party it's a different reality but there were some some issues for instance uh, the bloc made a big play out of uh, bill 21 in Quebec and and that certainly uh, helped them in their and uh, in, in their push even though at the end of the day uh, it's a it, 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 the, the the fate of this bill will be decided by the Supreme Court. I don't know where Quebecers stand right now, but I definitely don't feel much appetite for what the bloc has to offer, uh, which is precisely that, those disputes. Joël Lightbound is a Liberal MP for the Quebec City riding of Louis Hébert. He is also the Parliamentary Secretary to the Minister of Public Safety and Emergency Preparedness. We'll be back with an interview with one of the bloc's longest-serving MPs. Bonjour Stéphane, ça va bien? Ça va très bien, toi? 
My name is Stéphane Bergeron. I'm the Member of Parliament for Montarville. I'm the spokesperson of the Bloc Québécois for Foreign Affairs and International Governmental Affairs. I previously sat in the House of Commons from 1993 till 2005. I've been during that uh, period, for instance, Chief Whip of the Bloc Québécois. And then I, I was elected in the National Assembly in Quebec City, where I sat from 90, uh, 2005 till 2018. I've been, during that time, the uh, Chief Opposition Whip, the Deputy Parliamentary Leader uh, of the Opposition, and I've been the Public Security Minister in the Quebec government. And then I've been elected uh, again after uh, a short period while I was uh, the Secretary General of the College of Rimouski. I was elected again in the House of Commons for, uh, for the uh, riding of Montarville, in the riding of Montarville. So you've been around for a long time is basically what you're yep. saying. <laughs> um, I don't know if it's a good thing or not, but uh, that's a fact. <laughs> so I, I will say from the outset that the reason we're not interviewing the bloc leader is because uh, they declined our interview request and they told me they felt that Yves-François Blanchet had enough media coverage. Um, I assume they mean had enough media coverage in English Canada where there are no votes. So I'm thankful that you are joining us. I, I would make a comment on yes. that. Uh, we do have votes in the English communities, not in, in English Canada, but we do have English communities in, 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 in Quebec. For instance, in Montarville, I have a small English community. And I think uh, the, as Quebecers, they, they deserve uh, uh, our attention. And this is why I'm here today. When you pay attention to the stories that the Francophone reporters from Quebec have been covering and the stories that the Anglophone reporters from the rest of the country have been covering in the past three weeks, there's been stark differences. There's been, um, as you well know, controversies over the use of the N-word in academia, uh, controversies over the prime minister's response uh, to the brutal attack uh, in France, and the other political parties' responses to uh, the bloc's desire to have an apology for what happened during the uh, October crisis, FAQ crisis, the use of the War Measures Act. Let me perhaps begin by asking you um, why these issues are issues that your party has decided to highlight um, and champion vis-a-vis -vis the other political parties. Why, are, why have these been the issues that you've chosen to really focus on? Uh, we didn't choose uh, those issues, I would say. They, 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 they have chosen uh, them by, its, by themselves. Uh, they presented them uh, by themselves. Um, I, I mean, um, it was surprising that the federal government didn't comment on the brutal attack in France. It took 12 days to have it rose in, in the House of Commons, and, and, and it has been because we did that. We thought that it had to be brought, and nobody has done it uh, before. And this is why we brought this question. Uh, it was an important question. President Macron was attacked by the president of Turkey, uh, was uh, violently denounced in the uh, Muslim world, and he was receiving support from uh, European leaders, and he, he was expecting a support from uh, other leaders 
of the uh, free world, uh, for instance, uh, the Prime Minister of Canada, and he didn't say a word about that. And it, it has to be the bloc to bring this uh, question forward in order to have a comment from the Prime Minister of Canada. So I think it's a pity that we weren't there for uh, an important ally as France is for Canada. And about the, the what you, you, you're, you're calling the N-word, um, it's a question of freedom of, uh, of, of expression. We are preoccupied by the fact that the Prime Minister indicated that there should be limits to the freedom, uh, the academic freedom, and there should be uh, limits to the freedom of expression. Uh, let that be clear about that. There, there are already limits to the freedom of expression. You can't, um, you can't use uh, heinous uh, words. You can't uh, doing defamation. You can't say that kind of things. So we already have limits. Uh, and it, it, it was a little bit preoccupying to hear the prime minister of a democracy saying that we should put other limits. I don't think it's a good thing to, to laugh at religion. It's not a good thing. But if one wants to do that, he should have the, the, the freedom to do that in a democracy. Is part of the goal when talking about the, these issues to show that the other political parties in the Canadian House of Commons are offside where the rest of the country, or west, the rest of Quebecers, I should say, are? I like that. <laughs> you like my little <laughs> slip there. <laughs> no, to be honest, uh, we do think that uh, the other political parties in the House of Commons um have a lot of difficulties to convey the preoccupations and the uh the 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 um the will of the quebec people and when we see that there is a, a subject of preoccupation um we are here especially to convey the point of views uh, the point of view of quebecers and this is what we're doing and if other parties are not doing what they pretend to Quebecers they're, they're supposed to do, that's their problem. But our job, we have been elected for that, is to convey here the preoccupations of Quebecers. So if you see in the medias that this question, this particular question is important in Quebec medias and not in the, in the Canadian medias, it means something. And it means that the preoccupations are not the same. And don't be surprised that the Bloc Québécois, which is here to represent those preoccupations, would convey those preoccupations in the House of Commons. We're here for that. Do the two solitudes exist? I think so. Mr. Bouchard was saying that there are two countries in this country. And uh, this is a fact. There are still two countries within this country. Why does the bloc's role, I think maybe some Canadians outside of Quebec wonder this, with regards to you know its relationship with the Quebec government? Because we've seen the leader, your leader, be very aligned with the premier of Quebec, uh, François Legault, even though your political parties are not, you know, most people think of the Bloc Québécois as like a sister party to the Parti Québécois, not to the Coalition Avenir Québec. What is the bloc's role with the Quebec government? We're, we're here, as I was saying, 
to convey the Quebec consensus. So if the Quebec government convey or put forward the, uh, forward the uh, preoccupations of Quebecers, the consensus of the National Assembly will, we, we will echo them. I think there's a difference between taking what uh, Premier Legault says publicly, like, for example, um, unconditional health care transfers, which we saw this, this fall, and also, you know, intimately working with the government. Are you intimately working with the government? Like, are there phone calls? Are there, like, this is what we're asking for. Here, run away with it. Because you do get the sense that sometimes Legault actually doesn't want you guys <laughs> to help him. But the, the reality is that no Quebec government need someone else to discuss with the federal government. But sometimes the federal government doesn't really listen to what the Quebec government is saying. So we are, um, we are uh, um, uh, a voice, if I may say, an additional voice for the Quebec government here in the House of Commons. So what you're saying, though, is you're actually you're not working together, but you are like the loudspeaker for the Quebec government in Ottawa. I would say that. Yes. I think some Canadians would be surprised to learn that you're not just championing Quebec's interests. Um, you, you know, for example, uh, this spring, I can think of uh, Mr. Blanchet being quite firm on having additional monies go to Quebec seniors, which obviously benefits seniors that are outside of Quebec, but that you actually take positions that are uh, for Canada. Like uh, this week, uh, you have a private member's bill, I believe, on ensuring that Canada meets its uh, pledge to be carbon neutral by 2050. What do you view what uh, the bloc's role is vis-a-vis -vis the rest of the country? Our point of view on, on this question has always been clear. Uh, if it's good for Quebec, uh, we'll be in favor. And it might happen that it might also be good for Canada. So if it, go, if it is good for both, fine. But if our common goals doesn't ex don't exist, if our goals are different, if our point of views are different, we'll express a different point of view than the rest of Canada. And we won't be shy of that. I want to ask you about the FNQ, um, well, actually was framed as more the the apology for the um, the October crisis, the use of the federal use of the War Measures Act. The Bloc used their opposition motion, uh, which is, you know, you don't get one of these very often, uh, to basically ask the federal government to apologize for the arbitrary arrest of almost 500 Quebecers. Uh, one of my Anglophone colleagues suggested that this was mischief making because it uh, it forced the other political parties to take a stand that may be unpopular in Quebec. Why was that the issue that you decided to champion, knowing, of course, that it is the 50th anniversary of the October crisis? Um, but also, I want to hear you on this on this label that I some, especially Anglophone Canadians might look and think the bloc is just in Ottawa to cause trouble. That's not the case. Um, the federal government uh, apologized to, uh, let's say, the, um, the Canadians of uh, Japanese origins because they were unfairly treated during Second World War. We promised to do the same with Canadians from Italian origins because of what 
they experienced during the, the Second World War. And I think it's a good thing. I think a, a government must uh, admit that it was wrong. It was wrong. Uh, and it was wrong. And uh, when, uh, wrong, when wrongs were committed towards uh, First Nations, I don't have any problem with apologies to, for them. I think we, we do owe them apologies. And the problem is that when we owe apologies to, let's say, the Métis in, in, in Manitoba uh, about Louis Riel, uh, everybody is, is praising the role of Louis Riel in, in our history, but he's still considered as a traitor. And when we tried in the House of Commons to uh, reverse that decision, we, haven't, we never have been able to obtain that. And it's the same thing for the Acadian deportation. Uh, we ask for apologies. And apparently it was too much to ask for apologies. So we asked for an official recognition from the British Crown of the wrongs that were done to the Acadian people. They were deported. They were British subjects. And they were deported, which under the Magna Carta was totally illegal under uh, British law. And they were deported anyway. Um, and we haven't been able to obtain that. And now it was the 50th anniversary of the Measures Law application uh, during which Quebecers, uh, Canadian citizens in Quebec, were uh, arrested without any mandate, uh, incarcerated without any reason, kept in prison for days in some case and, and weeks for, in other case, and they were released without any explanation. You see that kind of things in, uh, in, 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 in uh, dictatures, not in a democracy. And you have never had any government in a democracy that apply measures law against its own citizens. Only Canada did that for a marginal movement. There were only a few that made all those troubles in that, uh, in that year, in those years. And we don't agree with that. They, what they done, we we condemn uh, what they have done, the bombings and the killing of, uh, of Pierre Laporte. But any of that we should have there have never justified the fact that we imprisoned without any accusation honest citizens. We were talking about freedom of expression at the beginning of this interview, which is a, 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 a fundamental right in a democracy. So why we do have those strange things that are happening in the Canadian democracy that does don't that that, that don't happens uh, in other democracies uh, in the world what do you make of the liberal and conservative arguments that you know no apology is needed because the Quebec government asked for help these the kind of apologies were asked in the National Assembly for, by opposition uh, parties. It's not our job to ask apologies from the Quebec government. We're not sitting in the National Assembly. We've been elected to sit here in the House of Commons. So we ask apologies from the, the federal government who applied the War Measures Act uh, in 1970. So uh, we, we did our job. We did what we thought was appropriate for the 50th anniversary of the implementation of these uh, War Measures Act. I must admit that I was really surprised that the conservatives took side with the government on this question. They had an opportunity. 
to take side with the Quebec people, they decided not to take that side. So that's up to them to explain themselves. Talk to me about what uh, strategically and electorally um, you hope to accomplish now that the Bloc has regained strength in a way that it hasn't had for the past you know, you know, 2011-2015 elections. Um, I don't know how to translate that in English, but you, you'll probably help me. But we have a, a humorist in Quebec uh, who is called uh, uh, Laurent Paquin, and one of his show was uh, entitled Tout est relatif. Everything is so relative. Means, everything is relative. So for, for someone, something might look good, and for someone else, it might look bad. When I was elected the last time uh, on the 21st of uh, October 1990, uh, 1990 um, when we met for the first time in caucus, uh, the 10 members that were alone for 2015 till 2019 were very excited by the fact that we were 32 <laughs> members in that caucus. So I told them, be calm, guys. This is the smallest caucus uh, you've ever been part of. Yeah, for the Bloc Québécois. I've never been in a small caucus like this uh, for the Bloc Québécois. So there's a margin of of growth for for Bloc Québécois. That shows that. See, I've, I, uh, you, you have to, to understand that I've been in, in caucuses with 54 members, with 47 members. So 32, it's, it's, it's 32. It's, it's, a, it's a small caucus. But for them, who were only 10 for four years, they were all excited by the fact that we were 32. But and before they were 10, there were four. There were four, yes. And even at one point, one. <laughs> <laughs> well, th- those were because of leadership problems. We'll, we'll set yeah, that yeah. aside. What, in your mind, explains the resurgence of the Bloc in Quebec? I think that Quebecers uh, always felt well represented by the Bloc Québécois. But at one point in 2011, uh, and, uh, and uh, they felt that they, um, they had enough, I would say, with... Uh, Stephen Harper's government, and they they maybe saw that they were they were there an opportunity to elect someone else, someone a party that has never been tried, the NDP. Trudeau seems to be uh, the new uh, the new flavor of of the of the day. We, we might try to to again elect a party that might be part of a of a government and we tried that from 2015 till 2019 and apparently Quebecers weren't really happy with that neither are you worried about the conservatives if i'm what worried about the conservatives encroaching oh, on the bloc territory not really in fact uh, not really uh, means yes with a bemol no, it means it means no with a bemol. <laughs> <laughs> it means no with a bemol, not yes with a bemol. <laughs> no, I, I mean I'm I'm not worried by the conservative. But the fact is that we can never underestimate an adversary. Okay. So the goal for the next months, perhaps years, seeing how long this lasts, is what to show that the other political parties are offside with Quebec? 
No, the goal is to the goal is to represent the Quebec preoccupations, the pre, the, pre, the Quebec needs, the Quebec consensus here. This is the only goal. If by doing that we're showing that other parties don't fit for Quebec expectations, tough luck. All right, Stéphane Bergeron, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much. Bonjour, Monsieur Deltel, c'est Altia. Allô, bonjour, comment ça va? Ça va très bien. Merci de faire ceci puis de le faire en anglais. Je sais que ça va être oui, un petit peu... Oui, on va. I will switch to... My language will be a little bit rusty, but I will try to do my best. Okay. Uh, is that correct? I mean, by your phone, is that correct for you? Or do I need to, to transfer on something? Hello, my name is Gérard Deltel, Member of Parliament for Louis Saint-Laurent and House Leader for the Official Opposition of Her Majesty in the House of Commons of Canada. Uh, Mr. Deltel, you've been an MP since 2015. Uh, as you said, from the writing of Saint-Laurent, your Quebec City, you were the former leader of the ADQ. You served with us house leader for the Coalition Avenir Québec, the, the party that's in charge now in Quebec City. Um, I'm going to start off by asking you why you think there was a resurgence of, a resurgence of the Bloc Québécois in the last election. Well, um, it's always a, not a factor, just one factor, but always a combination of factors uh, that we see that we can explain the electoral result. Uh, in that specific case, and I want to pay all my respect for the, for the leader, because uh, the leader of the Bloc Québécois is a man that I have a lot of respect to because he is a strong leader. And uh, I do recognize that, and I do appreciate a strong personality in, uh, in the debate. Uh, obviously, uh, we had some issue to address when, uh, in the last election as a party. Uh, we started very well, thanks to the fantastic team uh, built by Anne Reyes and uh, all the team uh, together. But unfortunately, some issue uh, rose up during the campaign, and especially this some social issue. And we had some difficulty to address it. I will not surprise nobody with that. I said that many, many times after the election. And uh, we, we, we addressed it. And uh, it was not uh, our best time for, um, for a party on those specific moments and those specific issues. And so that opened the door to uh, Quebecois to see uh, the Bloc Quebecois under the new leader. And this is where they, uh, they got it. But also... Uh, we have to keep in mind that uh, the NDP fall. When you see a left party falling uh, like a rock from the sky, uh, like the NDP, it opened the door to a more leftist party like the Bloc Québécois and with a strong leader. I want to talk about the Bloc's role in the House. You know, you work with them closely because you are the House leader. What do you think the role is in the House of Commons? Well, they are doing their role as a third party, uh, yes, third party opposition. We do our job too, and they are doing their job too, and the NDP also. So each and every one has a, has a role to do. But you know, you have to keep in mind that uh, the Bloc Québécois at the beginning of the mandate uh, were very strange to say the least when they did support the throne speech, the speech of throne, uh, while the Quebec government asked for seventh element in that throne of speech. 
and the throne of speech said no to seven elements, but we did vote in favor of that throne of speech. Now we see that they are a little bit more uh, concerned and a little bit more also focused on some issue on which we uh, we share. Like yesterday, they vote in favor of our motion about small businesses. Uh, so this is why, you know, there is a, some flip-flop on the Bloc Québécois that we have noticed in the last year. And yes, it's part of their history. When you read the Bloc's um, platform, for example, and you listen to their messaging, I mean, what they really say is that they view themselves as the voice of Quebecers in Ottawa. And while they have positions that are more progressive on, I don't actually know if this is a progressive issue, but they are very clear on climate change, for example, and what they'd like to see on the environment. um, They don't really position themselves, you know, in a way that's similar to the NDP, for example. Do you believe the bloc's rhetoric of being Quebecers voice in Ottawa? I I always felt uncomfortable when someone has uh, auto-proclaimed himself as the voice of. You know, personally, I have very some concern. I am the voice of my people. The Pouliris is the voice of his people, and the Prime Minister Trudeau is the voice of his people. We are all the voice of Québécois. But the Bloc's argument is that federal parties cannot um, adequately represent Quebecers and the values of Quebecers because when it comes to balancing policy objectives, the rest of the country will trump the will of Quebecers. And Mr. Blanchet would probably point to um, you know, contracts with Muskrat Falls, for example, in, Newfoundland, in Newfoundland and Labrador, or uh, uh, the feeling that the Davy shipyard may have been shortchanged on uh, government defense contracts. But it strikes me that when there are, you know, we've seen this week um, national issues like about freedom of expression with regards to what the terrible incident uh, in France on the 50th anniversary of the October crisis, the bloc's leader is the one that has come out first and forcefully. Uh, trying to, I think, create wedge issues with federal parties, but uh, in aligning himself very closely with the Quebec government and the other parties, especially the Conservative Party, has kind of failed to pick up that mantle. Okay, so we'll take it one by one. Okay. <laughs> when we talk about... No, 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 because it's quite interesting. Uh, when you talk about, you know, the October crisis, we voted against that. And I do represent my people. And I, I'm the one who made the speech on that. So it's not because they are, we, have, we have some position and they have another position that they are talking on behalf of the people and I'm not. No, this is the reality of Quebec and this is the reality of Canada. But why did Quebec you vote against it? Because for some people the, uh, again, in Quebec, um, I'm, I'm sure you know people around your neck of the woods, frankly, the idea that the government could just you know, arbitrarily arrest people for no reason, um, still people talk about it. Okay, five times in my speech, I talk about the tragedy of those people who have suffered, to have been arrested without lawyer, without contact elsewhere, who spend a full few days or a few months in the jail and with the middle of a week, in semaine moyenne. But when it's time to, to table some excuses or some apologize, you have to see where is the responsibility. When we were in office, we table uh, apologize to the First Nation for the um, school uh, because schools. it was 100% responsibility of the uh, federal government. 
in that specific case, what did history tell us? History tell us that it was the Quebec government who asked for the army. It was the Quebec government who asked for the um, uh, for the war measure. It was the Quebec police, the Sûreté du Québec, who coordinated the arrestation. And it was the Quebec government who offered compensation five months later to those who have been arrested. One, two, three, four. Four Quebec responsibilities. What was the responsibility of the Canadian government? The Quebec government, the Canadian government said yes to the demand of Quebec. So when it's time to give official apologies as a country, we have to see where is the responsibility. And we decided that in that specific case, the federal government said yes to Quebec. And but the Quebec is the one who asked that demand. And I do recognize that yes, it was bad, sad tragedy for those who have been arrested. But the responsibility belongs to the Quebec government in that specific case. When you talk about freedom of speech, we took a firm stand, a firm stand on that. And we realized that the prime minister switched his version of the situation mm -hmm. in just three days. Yeah. On Friday, he said something that cannot repeat it again. When we talk about il y a des limites, there is some limits. Okay, so what is the limits? What is the conditions? Where do you trust the line between what is freedom and what is not? So this, we took a strong stand on that. So, you know, it's not because the Bloc Québécois is speaking loud with a very, as I told you, strong leader. I do recognize him, but we did the same. Maybe someone will not agree, someone will agree. But on Bill 21, and it's not been uh, under, uh, it has been the truth, it has been the situation for the last two years. Since day one, we said, if it is 100% in the Quebec, in the provincial jurisdiction, we will respect that. So this is exactly what we, where we stand. So you mentioned Bill 21, and I think that's a good yes. example of a stance that the party has yes. taken that may not be popular actually in the rest of the country or in certain mm -hmm. parts of you know uh, Toronto area ridings that the Conservatives might be seeking to uh, to make gains in the next election. That that message may not sit well, and we saw. In, under the Harper government, um, Mr. Harper talked about asymmetrical federalism. Mr. Harper recognized the Quebecois as a nation. There have been so many um, overtures to Quebecers to say that they are not just welcomed, but, but you want to represent them and you want their support in this conservative family. And yet, since the advent of the bloc, the conservatives have not been able to win more than 12 seats in the province. Why? Well, first of all, it's not so much. It's not so bad. <laughs> it's not so well, bad. Well, twelve out of seventy-eight is not Well, obviously, yes. Obviously, we would like to have. Obviously, we would like to have three hundred and thirty-eight, and obviously, we would like to have that. Do you know that we have more people who voted Conservative Party of Canada compared to the Quebec Solidaire on the provincial level? There is more people who identify themselves for a right-wing party, federalist right-wing party, than for a socialist left-wing separatist party as Quebec Solidaire. Is that the representation that we see? Not really, but this is the truth. More people voted for the Conservatives. We, we had only five members in 2011. We grew up to 12, and now we are 10. 10 people is a lot of people. You know that there is more people voted Conservative in Quebec than more people who voted in Alberta and Saskatchewan combined? So there is a lot of people who are Conservative in Quebec. 
And yes, we will, we will work harder to get more members. Obviously, this is our job. And we, have, we, need to, we need to win more seats. Obviously, yes, this is what democracy is all about. Okay, but and how yes, are you going to get choice. them? Because it doesn't seem to, whatever you're doing does not seem to be working. And maybe it goes back to those issues you talked about at the beginning. Maybe it's the social issues that still weigh heavily gay marriage and abortion over the minds of Quebecers. I don't know. Those but issues, those, okay, those, okay, yes. Okay, that's interesting because those issues, as I told you, had an impact in the last election. But those issues are fixed now with the new leader. And I'm very proud of the way that Mr. Hotel is, is running the party and is running the, our policy. You know, in day one, he's, he put it aside saying, I am pro-choice. It was crystal clear. He did that during the leadership race, and he repeated after the leadership race when you got it. I am pro-choice. So this is clear. This has been done. He took strong position also on some specific issue, like uh, Bill 101 on the federal level, like uh, respectful of the Bill uh, 21, and some other uh, other issue too. So you know, when he met the, the first premier of Canada, the, the provincial premier that he have met personally is the premier of Quebec. Uh, so, you know, it, and there is some other things that will come in the next weeks and the next month. So we have a plan to Quebec and to everywhere in Canada, but to specific Quebec, yes, we have something to, uh, to do and we will do it. And okay. at the end of the day, the people will, uh, will decide. Well, what is that plan? Because Mr. O'Toole has been very <laughs> ambitious. No, he told Radio Canada this fall that he believes the party will win 30 seats in Quebec. Like To put that in perspective, the Tories have not won that since Brian Mulroney was prime minister. In order to do that, frankly, you would have to displace the bloc, um, especially in the regions. You know, the, 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 um, I would say, first of all, the, the worst thing a politician can do is to take everything for granted. So for those who think that uh, this writing belonged to the liberal or to the bloc or to the NDP or, where, or to the conservative, it's the beginning of the end. You know, you have to work on each and every uh, of your writing, as we have seen in 2011. Our Quebec lieutenant, uh, Richard Martel, is traveling, uh, I would not say coast to coast, but he's traveling a lot in Quebec, meeting a lot of people who are, would like to, to run as a candidate and also to have a team. So we will have a strong team. We also will have strong and positive uh, policies. The only way to achieve things is to be in a government. And it's a little bit too early to tell you where we are going on that, but we are going to convince Quebecois with that. Monsieur Dette, we'll leave it there. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Thank you, madame. While the Liberals and the Conservatives aren't the only ones paying attention to the Bleu Québécois, so is this guy. Uh, this is Jay Hill. I'm currently the interim leader of Maverick Party, and I'm calling from Calgary, Alberta. But for completely different reasons. I think the Bloc Québécois has been very effective in representing the interests of their constituents. I believed that when I was, when I was in Parliament. Uh, even though I put all of my energy into the Reform Party, then the Canadian Alliance, and ultimately the Conservative Party of Canada, uh, and tried to ensure that Canada West, uh, Canada worked in the best interests of all Canadians. Uh, but um, all I can say is that I'm a slow learner, uh, but eventually I did learn 
that it doesn't matter which party you are, and this goes for Max Bernie's People Party as well, uh, is that if you're running candidates all across the uh, country, you're going to have to water down your policies in order to appeal to where the greatest votes and members are, and that's Central Canada. And uh, so that applies if you're from Atlantic Canada, Newfoundland, uh, the territories, or the West. Did you feel that way when you were a reform slash canine slash conservative MP? Oh, certainly. As soon as you try to run uh, candidates all across the land, you obviously have to attempt to appeal to where the greater number of votes and members of parliament are, which is in central Canada, in Toronto, Montreal, uh, Ottawa, that area. And when you have a national party interested in being government, you're going to have to, um, I I don't know what the right word is, but appease Mm. those voters. And as soon as you do that, you can't represent the best interest necessarily of where you're from. Uh, I think that our grievances are much more easily defendable uh, than the grievances of Quebec, which in many cases hinge on uh, linguistic uh, historical uh, grievances and cultural uh, than they do in economic, which is the, in many cases the, the biggest complaint that you hear from Western Canada. We advocate an either-or um, solution to the problems of Western Canada. And our solution and our mission statement is to achieve greater autonomy for the West, uh, be it by constitutional reform or by the creation of an independent nation. So, uh, you know, we hold out hope that it would be the former, uh, but based upon my uh, experience, 17 years in the House of Commons and and ultimately being a cabinet minister where all the big decisions are made for the, the nation, um, I believe that it's highly unlikely, if not impossible, to ever convince Central and Eastern Canada of the constitutional changes that would be necessary to treat the West fairly. What constitutional change would be necessary? Well, I think the first would be a greater respect for the jurisdiction, the constitutional protection jurisdiction for controlled management marketing of our our natural resources. The second would be things like to protect the West in the future through the creation of a triple E Senate, um, equal elected and effective, something that the West has been demanding again since Confederation. So your goal, I guess, the ideal scenario for you would be a conservative minority where you're holding the balance of power and forcing the conservatives to pay more attention to Western issues. Uh, Exactly. That's 100% correct, yes. Jay Hill is the interim leader of the Maverick Party. The party plans to run candidates in BC, Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba, everything west of Ontario, as well as in all three Northern Territories. Well, that's our show. If you haven't overdosed on U.S. election coverage and you haven't yet listened to our last pod on the potential impacts of the next presidency on Canada, I highly recommend it. 
Gerald Butts, James Moore, Sean McCarthy, and Alex Panetta all have insightful things to say about what's to come. You can find episode 56, The Elephant and the Mouse, as well as all our other episodes in your podcast feed on SoundCloud or Apple Podcast. And while you're there, hit that subscribe button. Follow-up is produced by myself and HuffPost Ottawa reporter Zian Lum. Nicole Edwards was our technical producer this week. I'm Althea Raj. Thank you for listening. Thank you.